But let me ask you this. Are you taking steps of faith? When the Lord opens the door, do you go? And when the Lord closes the door, are you trying to break it down? Or are you just saying, okay, Lord, you close that door. I'm going to go a different way. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Chapel Echo Park here in Los Angeles, California. We are a small fellowship of diverse believers who want to serve our Lord and do His will. You can find out more about our fellowship at ccechopark.com. Join us for our live stream on Sunday in the New Testament and Wednesday evenings in the Old Testament. Now let's get into the Word of God in our weekly podcast. The teaching is from Pastor David Higa and will be the study of the revelation of Jesus Christ and the book of Revelation. Let's go ahead and and read. Read chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia right these things says he who is holy he who is true he who has the key of David he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens verse 8 I know your works see I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength have kept my word and have not denied my name verse 9 indeed I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie, indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole earth, or the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Okay, so I did note to you, notice in verse 1, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, and he who has, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now, it doesn't say that this is a faithful church. It doesn't spell that out. But when you read the characteristics of how Jesus reveals himself to this church, you say this must be a faithful church. Right? And then we note this, that there's no corrections, huh? there's no rebukes, there's only commendations here. And so, absolutely, they must be faithful. Now, this word faith, I want to draw to your attention first. What does the word faith mean? You know, we see in Scripture, we need to walk by faith, not by sight, right? And I want to take you back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I quote this all the time, but this gives us a description of what faith is, right? It says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want you to note that. That's a description of faith. So faith has something to do with what you hope for. Now, do you hope for something you already have? Do I hope, I don't know, to become a pastor? Well, I feel very blessed to be a pastor, but I, I am a pastor already, right? Or let's say you already have a, a, a graduate uh, a degree, right? And you have a degree from, I don't know, from, uh, from, let's say, high school, right? Now, do you hope to go to high school and get a degree when you already have a degree? No, right? Because you already have it. You hope for something that is future that you don't have, right? So that's what faith is. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what is our hope? Our hope is really heaven, right? Eternal life. To be with the Lord forever and ever. That's our hope. But right now, right, we don't have that, so we live by faith. But with that hope firmly embedded in our minds, right? Knowing as we're faithful, right, that we'll, we'll get to that place. Remember we noted this in Hebrews, right? It's like a long-distance runner. Remember Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, right? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who do you have to look to? Jesus, who is eternal. You don't look to... Uh, the right or the left of this race, right? You don't look at the things of the world. You're not going to finish, right? We look to Jesus. And so our sight is on Jesus, things that are in eternal, right? And that's what faith is. It has a hope in something that is future. And for us, it's, it's eternal life, right? It's, it's life with Jesus. And so that's what faith is. And so this faithful church, right, has their eyes. They're, they're set on the Lord. They're set on eternal things, not the temporal things, okay? Now, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, spells it out. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith. So we need to walk by faith. And that's why this church is commended, because they're walking by faith, not by sight. The just shall live by what? Not by sight, but by faith, right? And so we want to be a faithful church. And if it's true that we can parallel, right, these letters, letters to the church in Philadelphia and the letter to the church in Laodicea to this modern day church, I got to tell you, you want to be what? The faithful church, not, right? Not the lukewarm church, the faithful church. But right here, he gives the different attributes, right? Right in verse one. Now, let me, let me begin by saying that Philadelphia, it means what? The city of brotherly love. You should know that, right? We have a Philadelphia in the United States. Now, this is not that Philadelphia, right? It's a town right there in Asia Minor. We know to this in our study of these letters to the churches, right? You have all these different cities that he writes letters to. There's churches in those cities. They're all in, in, uh, in Asia Minor. Modern-day Turkey is Asia Minor, right? And so they're all there, and he's writing these letters to these, um, these churches. So this one is to Philadelphia, and Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. Now, when you do some backdrop on Philadelphia, I'm not going to go too in, into this too much, but really... It was kind of a showpiece for, the, um, for Greek culture there, the Grecian Empire, basically, but the Greek culture. And so it was a showcase for it. And so that's why, you know, I think the name Philadelphia, right, they're showing love and brotherly love and this and that. And so the reason I think this is important because it could be a connection, you know, with this whole thing of walking by faith. And I'm going to get to this in a little bit, but really they showpiece, right, their culture there because... They're, in a way, trying to evangelize Greek culture. And it's interesting, right? It's a, it's a city of love. Everybody um, is doing well, and uh, they're very, they have brotherly love for one another. And so they're trying to showpiece that. That's kind of the historical account of Philadelphia. And it does match here because, you know, really a faithful church ought to be what? Showpiecing who? Jesus Christ. Actually, uh, I'm going to get to this, that uh, a faithful church is evangelizing. Right? They're, they're presenting who Jesus is. Right? And so that kind of is an interesting thing. When you study how Philadelphia is kind of a showcase for, for uh, the Greek culture there, we as Christians, right, we ought to be a, what? a showcase for who Jesus is. Now, the question is, are we doing a good job at that? Well, this church is. And it's because of what's described here. But, but the question is, are we? When people come in and see Calvary Chapel Echo Park, the people say, hey, you know what? I want what they want. There's something different about that. Or they're saying, hey, you know what? I can get this in the world. Just like the world. 
right? And that's where the set-apartness comes out. And that's what we see here, right here. It says, these things, right, says he who is holy. That's the first attribute, right, that he described. He who is holy. What does holy mean? Holy means set apart. That's what it means. Different. And I always think about the upper room discourse. You know, Jesus, when he prayed for his disciples before he went to the cross, what did he pray for? Not that he... Not that God the Father would take them out of the world, but that he would leave them in the world, but that they would be what? Set apart from the world. They would be a witness unto who Jesus is. That was Jesus' prayer. And so they remained in this world. It was a tough, tough life. It was a life of faith, but they were set apart. When people saw, right, those apostles, they knew something was different. And that's how they evangelized the world. Now let me ask you this, people. If people come and they see your life or they come in this church and we look just like the world. We talk like the world, right? We cuss like the world. We work like the world. We do all the things like the world. How is that being set apart? It's not. So this word, he who is holy, means to be set apart. And that's part of being faithful. A faithful church is set apart from the world. And I got to tell you, you know, people... I, I, I want to look in the mirror, myself in the mirror, and this church in the mirror. You know, when people come into this church, right, and they see people that can't get along, you know, and I've just got to, i got to say this, you know, I think one of the challenges in this church is people can't get along. Now, I don't think it's just unique in this church. I think it's common to all churches, right? It's hard to get along with people. Always getting in fights. And so if people come in this church, right, and they see brothers and sisters in the Lord here fighting, arguing, yelling at each other, what do they think? Hey, this is just like my job, right? This is just like the world. We're not set apart. You see, being holy means being set apart because God is holy, right? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says, Be, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. You see, because God is set apart, Jesus is set apart, we ought to be set apart. We ought to be different. We ought to be different in how we talk to each other. We ought to be different how we treat each other. We ought to be different how we serve each other. People ought to say, man, there's something different about you. That's what it means to be holy. And I got to tell you, this is one of the most important things about walking in faith. This is a testimony of faith. If we truly have faith, right, we're going to be set apart. Very important for us to underscore. But Secondly, notice it says, he who is true. Notice how he's revealing himself to this faithful church. It's the characteristics of faith. Not only are they set apart, but they are, what, following the truth. Not following the lie. And the scriptures that I think about that come to mind is when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the lie. We're following Jesus. We're following the truth. And so we have to live the truth. We have to talk the truth, Right? In love, right? And we have to give the truth. And that's how people know that we're following Jesus, who is the truth. Another scripture that comes to mind is that the truth, what? Shall make you free, or the truth shall set you free, right? And so if we're truly following the truth, we're free, right? We have liberty. We're not in bondage. We're not bondage to alcohol. We're not in bondage to drugs. We're not in bondage to the shopping. We're not in bondage to relationships. We're in bondage to who? We're bond slaves of Jesus Christ, right? If we are truly following the truth, right? 
the truth makes us free. The truth makes us a bond slave of Jesus Christ. That's a testimony, right? That's somebody who is faithful to the Lord, who's walking by faith. Now, notice here it says, and he who has the key of David. Now, what is a key used for? It's used to open doors, right? If you don't have a key, especially, right in, especially in Los Angeles, especially in Echo Park, right? No keys, no getting in, right? Everything's locked here, right? We have like, double locks, triple locks, right? No keys, no in. Well, he's saying about he who has the key of David key of David. And so I, I want to draw your attention to cross-reference. I believe Jesus is referring to this passage in Isaiah, the key of David, but he's relating it to himself. He has the key of David. Okay, now as you hold your hand, it basically is the key to the treasury, right? And in David's time, there was a person, and, and specifically this was in um, King Hezekiah's time, but there was also some of that a key to the treasury of the king, right? And so this is specifically talking about Hezekiah's time. But how he's connecting it to himself. Jesus says, I have the keys to the treasures of heaven. And this is the walk of faith, right? As we walk by faith, right? Jesus opens certain doors and he closes them. He has the keys. When we walk into the doors of heaven, boy, the treasure of heaven opens up. But we try to rock in doors that he's locked, right? That he hasn't opened, but right? we're in trouble. That's the context here, okay? That's the application as well. Isaiah chapter 22, verse Verse 15. This is the time of King Hezekiah. Okay, so let's read from verse 15. Isaiah prophesies this. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Go proceed to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the house and say, Now this man Shebna, he's Hezekiah's treasurer. He has the keys, right? But he's corrupt. He's corrupt by himself, right? He does everything with the wrong motives. He does it for himself. So think about this. If you have a treasure that's more wants to serve himself than the people that he's holding the money for. What's he going to do? He's going to steal, right? And so this is kind of the thing, right? And so he's going to be replaced. That, that's the context of this prophecy, right? So he says, go proceed to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the house, and say, what have you here? And whom have you here? That you have hewn a sepulcher here, as he who hews himself a sepulcher on not. Notice the word himself. He's doing things, what? Himself. Who carves a tomb for what? Himself in a rock. Everything is based on him, right? Me, myself, and I. Indeed, the Lord will throw you away violently, O mighty man, and will surely seize you. He will surely turn violently and toss you like a ball into a large country. There you shall die, and there your glorious cherish shall be the shame of your master's house. So I will drive you out of your office out of your office as the treasurer, the treasurer of the king's treasury, right? So he has the keys, but he's going to be replaced, right? And from your position, he will pull you down. Now, verse 20, here we go. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim. So Eliakim's going to replace Shebna, right? The son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. So I'm going to give him the responsibility of the treasury. He is now going to have the keys to the treasury of the king. Pretty important, right? He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. 
So this is where we see that cross-reference. Perhaps Jesus is alluding to this in its context here, right? So he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. So what is he saying? Is that this man, right, Eliakim, this new treasure, only he has the keys to shut and to open. Only he has it, okay? And he has the keys to the doors of the treasury. Now it's interesting, right, when you go back now to Revelation chapter 3, and Jesus in this way describes himself, he who opens and no one shuts, right? He says, he who has the key of what? David. So who has the key? This is Jesus. He has the key of the treasuries of the king, right? He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So when I walk by faith, oftentimes I don't have it, or all the time I don't have it. I'm not sure, right, but I have to take that step of faith. How do I take that step of faith? Well, the Lord opens the door. Now, am I going to fulfill what the Lord wants me to do if I don't go through that open door? No, it's a step of faith. I don't yet know. And that's what faith is. Faith has substance in the promises of God, the Word of God, as I follow the Lord, right? Faith has substance, but I don't have it yet. I hope to have it soon, but I have to take that step of faith. But who has the keys to the open door? It's Jesus. That's what I believe Jesus is revealing to them. A faithful church is going through, a faithful people are going through the open doors. See, I think this, these, these, these attributes here, these characters, are all characters of, of a church that is faithful. That's why many would coin this church a faithful church, right? They're set apart. They know the truth. They follow the truth, right? And they follow the one who has the keys of the treasury. They're following Jesus. When Jesus opens that door, they're going to go through. When Jesus closes that door, they're not going to try to go through. Right? They're going to go a different direction. He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Now he says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. Jesus has set before them an open door. He has the keys to that open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. Have kept my word, and have not denied my name. And so, this is the life of faith, isn't it? It's taking those steps, right? We don't know, and as we take those steps of faith, He opens, opens the door. Now, oftentimes the steps of faith we take, right? It's a hard road to go. A lot of times we just want to sit and wait. You know, I'm thinking about the time, you know, when I, um, years ago, went off into, into the missions field, Marcy and I, you know. It was one of those things that everything was going well for so long. You know, I had this engineering job for about 10 years, had a lot of savings, right? I was going to Calvary Chapel, um, Santa Barbara there, receiving some really wonderful anointed teaching. I was growing in the Lord. But I remember there was a time I was saying, Lord, you know, if you want me to do something else, right, if you want me to go in the missions field, or if you want me to go into the ministry, uh, I, I want to I follow what you want me to do, right? And I said, I'm, I'm going to do it now. It's interesting, right? Um, as I started to press in and pray that, you know what happened? That job that I had for 10 years, I lost it. I lost it that year. We had a, a, go a government contract. I used to work for a, an aerospace company. It was a kind of a think tank. And we had this this, and we were supposed to get that, that contract renewed because we were, we, were the, we were the incumbents. Incumbents never, re, never lose it, right? So we lost that contract. And so, you know, it's interesting. I had a decision to make. 
One of the guys that um, was our consultants there, right, that was on that contract. So when I lost that con when we lost that contract group, we all got laid off and all our consultants, right, they had to find other work. Well, what happened was is that this one consultant, he got some work and it was at a company in the Czech Republic. Right? And so he comes to me and says, hey, do you want to join us and do this work? Now, I had another job offer right after that in Santa Barbara. And so I had a kind of a decision to make. Is the Lord opening a door for me to go in the missions field? And I said, yeah. So I took a step of faith. And you know what happened? <laughs> I went there, and I took that contract. I was in the Czech Republic for about six months, and that company went belly up. Can you imagine that? And so I stayed there for the next two and a half years, almost, almost two and a half years. And I tried to make it on my own there. Marcy and I were married. We were newly married. And we're living off our savings. And I know the Lord opened a door for us to be there. And you know what happened? Is that I went through all 10 years of my savings. I lost everything. We went there. And when we came back, because we ran out of money, basically, basically we came back with four suitcases. And that's all we owned. And two of them had our computers in it. Now, we weren't laptops, right? Back then, they were big computers. That's all we owned when we came back. And you know... I mention this because oftentimes the open door that the Lord has is to build up your faith. That was the open door for us. And we lost so much in this physical world, but we gained so much in the spirit. And this is what we gained. I got to tell you, you know, we were there kind of basically by ourselves in a foreign country, right? They're speaking a different language. We were trying to um, plant churches there. Uh, we ran out of money. And so to make a long story short, we, Marcy started to cater food and she started to kind of go on the bus and deliver the food. That's how we live. And the extra food, that's what we ate. And um, the money we made from that paid our rent. That's how we lived. And so we could have went back at any time, but we know that the Lord opened the door up for us. And so, you know, what, what the Lord was doing is he was teaching us to live by faith, not by sight. And, you know, one of the things we learned and I think chiseled us into our early marriage years is that, you know, the Lord taught us to trust Him and to trust each other. These would be your two greatest assets in this life of faith. is to trust Jesus, your Lord, and to trust your spouse. And I think that was what the Lord had for us. And as He opened that door for us to go through those times, it has really benefited us in our time together since then. And this happened in our first year of marriage, our first three years of marriage. Talk about a honeymoon. But it was a great thing. It was a great thing. And so I, I mark this too because a lot of times the doors that the Lord opens aren't the doors that you expect Him to open. It would have seemed better sometimes at the time when I was going through the hardship, losing all my savings, it would have been better if I would have stayed in Santa Barbara and took that other job. But I knew the Lord was opening that door to go to the Czech Republic. It was a door to poverty, actually, when you think about it. It really was because, now we could have come back here and had our family help us, but we stayed there, and so we kind of lived in poverty. Not for too long, but we did. And I think the Lord had some lessons for us Right, to trust Him and to trust each other. So I mark this too. This is the life of faith, right? To be set apart, the holiness of God. 
to know the truth. He is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth will make you free. To know that He is the keys to the treasuries. And He opens doors for you to go through and He closes doors for you to not go through. And as you take steps of faith, right, the treasure of heaven is opened up. You know, I can really say that through that time, the Lord opened up the treasures of heaven spiritually for us. And it's something that is more valuable than anything you can own in this life. Is that life to know that Jesus is going to walk you through. Well, one, one aspect too that I forgot to mention, this whole thing about he who is holy, set apart. You know, one of the things that I remember very distinctly, this is even before that time, when, um, when I felt called to the ministry, and called even to go into missions field. You know, as much as I love to study the Bible, and as much as I love that things kind of start to connect, it was really through worship. It's really early on. And the reason I want to mark this to you is that you know, I was going to Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara, receiving some wonderful teaching from some anointed pastors. But you know what? I was also doing worship at a, at a, at a very Pentecostal church. A Pentecostal church, I may not agree with all the doctrine, but there was something that impacted me in worship. The holiness of God. And I remember very distinctly that it was through that worship my heart just burned for the Lord. It's being brought into the presence of the Lord. It's being just able to taste the holiness of God. Things less depend on the tangible and they more depend on just, just the Spirit of God. And then you become on fire for the Lord. So whether you have any success in this world or not, as you're doing what the Lord has called you to do, you can't help but do it. I don't know how to explain it really. It's an experience, yeah. But it's an experience rooted in truth. And as you approach the Lord, as you worship the Lord in holiness, right, you're brought right to the throne room of grace. And as you're brought to the throne room of grace, what happens is that you walk by faith, not by sight. Right? And so these characteristics that Jesus reveals, I think, is very important. And we need to take this, and this is how he reveals himself to the church in Philadelphia. This is, again, the walk of faith. Right? is that you have enough strength to only look and depend on Jesus. A little strength. Have kept my word and have not denied my name. Verse 9. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say there are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. And so, you know, Walbert mentions this, that in that place, right, there was a synagogue there, Jews, of Jews. And really, they were against the church, right? And so that's why they were referred to as a synagogue of Satan. Now, we know this to be true in Paul's letters, right? Paul oftentimes, most of the time, actually all the time, I think, right? He started in the synagogue in the city unless there wasn't a synagogue. There needed to be four Jewish families for there to be a synagogue. And so a place, you know, certain places like, um, you know, uh, Lydia where she ministered there, right? There wasn't uh, enough families, right? So there wasn't a synagogue. But if there was a synagogue, Paul would, would minister there. But what happened? Most of the times he was persecuted, he was kicked out, right? That's the sense here, right? There's a synagogue there, and they have Jews there, and they, they, they dislike the church, right? They dislike the name of Jesus. They hate the name of Jesus. But notice he marks that their faithfulness, right? And there'll be a time that they would come and worship before your feet. Now, what does he mean by that? It doesn't mean that he's going to worship them, that they're going to worship them. 
But I believe what it means is the latter part, and to know that I have loved you, that they're going to see the witness of this faithful church. They're going to see that this church stands on the Lord Jesus, and they're going to acknowledge that. You know, and that's really a witness in itself. You know, there's people that will attack you, right, for your faith, but if you're truly walking the walk of faith as a testimony for who Jesus is, they can't deny that. And this is what I believe he means by this, that they will come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. They will come to the knowledge that the person that you serve and the person that you know because of your faith, because these characters are coming out of you, that they know that the Lord or the God that you're serving is the one true living God. That's the testimony. Now verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial. So what's the hour of trial? See, I believe this is a reference to the tribulation. And as I mentioned, if we can parallel, now again, it's a big if, right? But if this letter to the church in Philadelphia and the church in Laodicea, if that can be parallel to the church history of the modern day church, which started in around 1648 around, and it goes to the present time, until the rapture of the church, well, then we have this reference, right? Notice he says, because you have kept my commands to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial, the tribulation. He's going to keep the faithful church, the ones that truly have faith, from the tribulation. So we, we interpret that with the other scripture. There's going to be a rapture of the church. If this is the modern-day church. modern-day church is going to exist until the time of the rapture. But then they're going to be taken up, and then tribulation begins, right? So he says, to persevere, um, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world. That's what happens in the tribulation, right? As the church is raptured and they're in the marriage supper of the Lamb there in heaven, right? Jesus is going to loose the seals that hold that scroll, which is a title deed to the earth. As he loose each seal, judgment is going to be pronounced upon the whole earth or the whole world, right? Which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, how is it testing those who dwell on the earth? Well, it's testing them in this way. It's the last act of mercy of the Lord in, in, in a real sense, in that there'll be those on this earth that weren't raptured, they didn't have a faith, but they are going to have a faith. They're known as tribulation saints during the seven-year tribulation. They're not going to take the mark of the beast, they're going to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ the Lord, and most of them are going to die for their faith. This is what the testing is. But, you know, it really is an act of mercy. And, you know, I believe there's going to be many, 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 many thousands, many, maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions. They're going to say, you know what, I'd rather give my life up here and be with the Lord than to take the mark of the beast. You know, I really believe they're going to come to a place where they're going to say, you know what, I don't fear death. I'd rather die than deny my Lord. Now, you've heard people say this, you know, if you can't make a decision for the Lord in this life, how are you going to make a decision for the Lord in the tribulation? Or you don't have to give your life, at least in this country, right, to be a Christian. Well, you know, it's interesting. I have a little kind of caveat to that. I believe it's going to be, and this is my humble opinion, I believe it's going to be somewhat easy in the tribulation. Not easy to die, but easy to make that decision. These guys, these tribulation saints, they're going to see how bad it gets. 
right? To not be a part of the Lord, and they're going to welcome it. They're going to say, I'd rather die and be in heaven with my Lord. I think it's going to be an interesting time. But the church prior to that is not going to experience that tribulation, right? And it's going to be a test to those who dwell on the earth after the rapture. Behold, I'm coming quickly. This word quickly, it's where we get the word tachometer, right? It's the revolutions per minute, right? If you're driving a stick shift, right? And you shift, right? As that motor turns, how many revolutions per minute? You want about, what, two, 3,000 before you shift? If you don't, you're going to burn that engine up. That's a tachometer. That's where we get this word, quickly, right? As that RPMs, they go up really quickly. This is going to happen really quickly. And so even though we're waiting, 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 when it happens, the RPMs, spiritually speaking, they're going to just rev up and it's going to be the end. Okay? Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. This word crown is Stephanus. It's the crown of the victor in the Olympic Games. He's finished the race. Okay, it's not the crown of the king, not the diadem. It's the Stephanus. And so he's speaking of those who are faithful. They finish the race. Looking unto Jesus, right? The author and finisher of our, of our race. This is the crown. This is the reward. So he's speaking to, I think, the church today, right? If we're going to finish the race until that time of the rapture. Verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. This is where the temple of the Holy Spirit now living, right? Right? Living stones, right, with the Spirit in us. And we come together to build the temple of God, Jesus being that chief cornerstone. In the new Jerusalem, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are the temple. We're going to be a part of him. We're going to be face to face in our resurrected bodies, in the new Jerusalem, right? That's what's being described. So notice he's taking these last two churches right up to the time where all this is going to be fulfilled. It does parallel the modern day church, right? A faithful one and a lukewarm one. And he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. And so the name of God is going to be written on us in the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem, it comes down from heaven. So when he creates a new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem is going to come down into this new heaven and new earth. It already exists. The new Jerusalem, it descends from heaven. So before the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year rule and reign of Christ, uh, rule and reign of Christ, the new Jerusalem is up there, right? And so we in our resurrected bodies are going to rule and reign with the Lord in this millennial kingdom on this earth. But I believe this is what happens, is that in our resurrected body, we're going to go to and from the new Jerusalem here. Rule and reign, access, right? But then in the eternal state, at the end of the, the millennial kingdom, when the new heavens and new earth are created, the new Jerusalem is going to come down from heaven, okay? So I want you to note that. There's just different details about the new Jerusalem, okay? And so notice in verse 12, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven, from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Verse 13, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks again for joining us on our podcast of Calvary Chapel, Agua Park. 
We hope and pray that you have been blessed by the teaching and join us again as we continue to study the Word of God. Once again, you can always visit us on our homepage at ccechopart.com for more information and teachings from Pastor David. To God be the glory.